We're in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to look back. We're going to start in verse number 1. We're we're marching our way to verse 11, though. uh, Verses 1 through 10 we've studied. And uh, I hope the fact that we have a Bible and we have the Holy Spirit and we have this thing called church never gets lost on you. Um, I know that it can become... Ritual, and that's that's not it's not exactly bad. It can be that can be dangerous if something becomes ritual. Um, we all have rituals, and and we appreciate them, right? My ritual in the morning is to walk out and turn the coffee machine on, and uh, it's it's ritual, and I enjoy that ritual, right? And uh, so, just because something is habitual and it's present in your everyday, um, doesn't mean that you you have to necessarily you know devalue it. You can you can still do it in the everyday and, and, and really value it. And I hope church is that way for you. You come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You ought to. And uh, I hope that you can appreciate what church is. It's simply us gathering around God's Word. And my hope and prayers that I've walked with God and that I've prayed and I've gotten a message from God to bring to the people of God. And uh, it's a strange equation if you think about it too long, but it's a beautiful thing. And it's a lifeline for, for Christians. It's supposed to be supplementary um, to your Christian life, to your everyday Bible reading and time with your Creator. Uh, but it is kind of like I've said, that family meal where we gather together and uh, someone's prepared a main dish, but you brought the side dish and you brought the mashed potatoes and you brought the you know uh, dessert. And so hopefully after this service is over and I finish serving this portion of the meal, um, we get to be served out here and we get to serve out here and we get to be a blessing and encouragement and uh, bear each other's burdens and, and pray for each other and know what's going on in situations and so forth. And so uh, welcome to the family meal we're going to eat this morning. Lord willing, it'll be a good meal. I'm certainly excited about both services today, uh, the, ele- the 10 and the 11. Let's look at <clears throat> verse number one, if you would, of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, um, uh, so that the so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Uh, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and, he, uh, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet as seen, uh, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for, to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, and now we really begin to kind of move through some of the listed people, and we're going to enter the patriarchs here uh, in verse 8, and we'll pick up in verse 11 as well. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go uh, out into a place which uh, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. Verse number 9, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heir, uh, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city who hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Well, let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray you'll help my voice. I pray you help Miss Laverne today. Uh, give her strength. And Lord, spare her from the hospital, Lord, if that's your will. Or, and if she needs to go there to get healthy, Lord, I pray for the same. Uh, Lord, just take care of us this morning. And uh, thank you for the folks who can be here. I know there's a good amount of folks who are sick. It's... Uh, it's just been that season, and Lord, we, we understand that as part of life, and, and uh, some of that brings us to a place of rest and brings us to maybe some time off of work, even forced as it may be, but uh, still some time with family. And so I pray, God, that we would steward the seasons you give us, 
uh, well. And uh, Lord, if we have a season of health, help us steward it well and to pick up some extra slack around the church and serve and pick up some extra slack around maybe our home. And uh, Lord, maybe in a season where we're sick, I pray God we'd be able to rest and know that this is your work and that you're, you're going to carry on and do uh, your thing and, and uh, take care of our family while we're not able to. And so Lord, just bless the study of your word. I pray God as we lean into this book and this powerful passage on faith, uh, Lord, I pray that we would appropriate it to our lives and our hearts. I pray you help my mind to be able to articulate and my tongue to be able to communicate. And uh, we'll give you the glory for anything done this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, verses 1 through 10 make good sense to me. Verse 11 is where we fe- we find our very first kind of like, how did that person make the list? And uh, I'm not big on lists. I don't follow, you know, the NFL Hall of Fame or the NBA Hall of Fame, but I imagine... Uh, for you sports fanatics out there, if you looked at some, you know, the, the list of all the inductees, there's probably a couple people that you may argue that person doesn't belong here. And I think that's just kind of common, normal way the human mind thinks. But when I look through the Hall of Faith and I start to see some of these people we're about to embark upon, I do wonder how in the world did that person make it into the list? And uh, one of the big takeaways before we even get there, and I won't bring it up every single time, but uh, you'll, you'll see it when, when, you'll recognize it when you see it. Um, is that God doesn't always see us the way that other people see us or the way that even we see ourselves. And uh, God is the God of second chances. And yes, we may mess up the first chance tremendously, uh, but God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And thank God for that. Now, I will warn you, there is a backstop to mercy where God says, hey, I'm finished. And, and there's not going to be an opportunity for you to maybe get right. And we've seen that throughout texts. We've seen that throughout uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament. We've seen that throughout just ob- observation of Christian living. But I look at verse number 11. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Through faith also, uh, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered uh, of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, this requires a little bit of background. Now, you don't have to go there, but you can. I won't, I won't read it, but if you want to write in the maybe leaflet of your Bible or uh, maybe you do some homework later, Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 15, uh, share the story um, that this passage is referencing. And uh, in Genesis 18, 10 through 15, God comes and he tells Abraham that he's going to have a son. And uh, God is speaking to Abraham directly, and Sarah's on the inside of that tent. And uh, Sarah hears um, through a tent, obviously, um, that God is telling Abraham that she that he is going to have a child, and uh, the Bible records for us what Sarah does, yep. and it it doesn't seem reminiscent of what God records in verse eleven. Verse eleven says herself received strength to conceive a seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him God faithful who had promised. Well, in Genesis eighteen ten through fifteen, Sarah actually laughs at God. She she is fully persuaded that this is not going to happen. But then when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it tells us that Sarah is fully persuaded that these things were going to happen. And so what happened? Did the author of Hebrews, you know, forget what the text said? Did he make a mistake that Sarah really didn't have faith? And, uh, or maybe he falsely attributes faith to Sarah? Well, we, if we took a maybe a modern-day secular critical text view of the Bible, we might be able to say that, well, you know, may, you know, the author made a mistake here. But one thing we know for sure is that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He breathed it all. So all of it is accurate, and all of it is Scripture, and all of it is the very breath of God. So the author of Hebrews could not have forgotten what Genesis chapter uh, 18, uh, verses 10 through 15 say. Simply, here's, here's what must have happened. 
There must have been a change in Sarah's heart. And the Old Testament doesn't necessarily record for us what uh, that is. You can read the story yourself in Genesis 18, and you will see that Sarah kind of submits to it. She does call her husband Lord and decides to agree to it, though does not seem to have this robust faith, Hebrews chapter 11 seems to accredit to her. But what must have happened is that God must have worked in Sarah's heart. And Sarah must have come to a place where even in a a place of maybe a lack of faith, she still had faith. The best way I could say it is this. In the New Testament, there's a man who needs healing for his family. And he says this to Jesus, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And sometimes when we, we find ourselves, and we find ourselves in that position often, I don't know of too many people. Now, there may be some people in this room, and I would bet there probably are, who have such a gift of faith. And uh, don't be confused about that. The Bible talks about we're all supposed to have faith. Faith is both an exercise that you, uh, and a discipline that you should have, but it's also something God gives a measure of to you and to them. And some people just, by the grace of God, have a greater measure of faith than others. But I would submit there's probably maybe one or two people in the room who, who very seldom come to that equation, I believe, but help my unbelief. But I would say for the rest of us, myself included, that's kind of where when, when you find me with faith, that's what you find. You find this belief with, but there's a part of me that, that's struggling right now, Lord. And uh, I, again, there may be somebody in this room, and I, I probably could pick a few of you and say, yep, that person has more faith than you know anybody in the church. And that's a blessing. That's not something to be proud of or pious of. But I think for the vast majority of us, um, we would say, hey, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and, and we can find some comfort in both the New Testament story and this Old Testament story of Sarah, that God may call us to some things. And, and really, the end of a thing is better than the beginning of it, right? And Jesus tells that parable in the New Testament. You know, a father said, do this. One son said no and ended up doing it. One son said yes and ended up not doing it. This one had the greater faith, the one who struggled with it, but then eventually obeyed. And Sarah falls into that category of someone who who struggled with it, but, but did receive in faith the promise that God had given to her. And so the application is that God isn't done with us just because we mess up in faith, right? And uh, just because you struggled or wavered or God called you to something and you just didn't have the full faith to, you know, do the entire, you know, uh, process or maybe give the entire amount or go all the way or something of that nature, um, we are not necessarily counted unfaithful when at first our faith wavers. Um, oftentimes we can still act in faith. Oftentimes we can still uh, receive that promise and, and, and follow through in faith. Now, again, be careful because that's not always the, the case. Remember the children of Israel, the day they were promised to go into the, uh, or the day they were supposed to go into the promised land. You remember that? Uh, that's the perfect opposite of this. The children of Israel, when they're going into, uh, they're coming out of Egypt, they're supposed to go straight into the promised land. And uh, Moses says, okay, you know, it's going to be the day. And they're like, hey, we're going to send some spies. And the spies come back. And you know how that works. Uh, and if you don't, just briefly, the spies come back and the vast majority of them say, well, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's just no way. And, and so the children of Israel ultimately decide, okay, we're not going in. And so God says, okay, you're not going in. And uh, he said, turn around, go back by the way of the Red Sea and die in the wilderness. And if you remember, the children of Israel say, oh, well, okay, so now we're going to go in. We're going to go in now. And God's like, nope, no, you're not. They're like, no, 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 we're going to go in now. And Moses is like, don't do it. You're not going in. So they decide, if you remember the story, they decide to form their own band of you know, leadership without Moses and Aaron. And they march over the top of the hill to go into the promised land. And they're slaughtered there. 
because they don't get to go in. They don't get to do it over. And so again, you've got to be really careful because you don't know where you're at in that process. God may be calling you to faith and man, your faith is weak. Listen, respond as fast as you can in faith and in fullness of faith as much as you can. But we do find again here this picture of Sarah who is accredited faith we did not see. Um, It isn't recorded in the Old Testament for us, but it is in the book of Hebrews. So that's verse number 11. Look at verse number 12. It says, Therefore sprang (coughs) there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Now, that first part might seem a little confusing, but look at it again. It says, therefore sprang there even of one, so of of, uh, Abraham, and of him as good as dead. That's kind of how Sarah looked at this idea. My womb is dead. We can't have another child. But yet out of this, this couple that shouldn't have been able to bring life, they bring forth many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sandwiches by the seashore innumerable. So because of the faith of Abraham, because of the faith of Sarah, came a multitude of, listen carefully, compare the whole scripture with scripture and the book of Hebrews specifically, came a whole bunch of Jews. But all of the Jews living and dead in the past don't make up the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky. The promise was the Gentiles as well. This is what the many nations would be. This is that the inheritance, when you get into some of the prophetic books and you get into the book of Revelation, it talks about they'll inherit the Gentiles. That's not talking about taking their stuff. That's talking about bringing them in as part of their family. That's what God saw and God promised Abraham that through him, the nations of the world would be blessed and the stars and the multitude as the sand of the sea. Uh, So verse number 13, these all died. This is a prominent theme in this chapter. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Uh, promises. Now, real quick, let me stop for a second. Some people died with seeing zero of the promises. Um, and that's actually at the end of the, the book, right? Some stayed the mouths of lions and then some died, right? They were torn asunder and all these different things. Those people received zero of the promises. Those promises would be coming later. But what he's saying to Abraham in Abraham's situation is that these died not having received the fullness of the promises. They've received some of it, right? They've received Isaac, and then they've received uh, uh, some of the the, the lineage that would come through him, but they didn't see the fullness of the picture. Uh, Abraham and Sarah never saw the multitudes or the nations or that city built by God, right? They're seeking for that city to come, and they never saw it. They never saw the inhabitation of the promised land, right? Even the, the generations to come wouldn't see that. They'd end up in Egypt within a handful of years. Um, verse number 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And so they had these promises um, and they held on to these, the, the, the old countries they came from loosely, knowing that, hey, someday we're going to have that city whose builder and maker is God. But even in their lifetime, they wouldn't have it. And you and I are, are, we're in the same boat, thankfully, because we have all of these New Testament promises, right? We have all of the, we're waiting for that city whose builder and maker is God. It's better than Bakersfield. You know, we can't wait for New Jerusalem and we can't wait for all these fulfilling things. And we have some of the promises we've seen, some of it we haven't, but the fact that he's fulfilled, the fact that Isaac was even born is a, is a, is a solid ground of faith to stand on to know that the multitudes are coming. And the fact that God has fulfilled the Old Testament and brought us Christ and all of the things he's already fulfilled should be a solid ground of faith to stand on to say, yeah, and that city's going to come too. The rest of this will be fulfilled. If he's kept all of his promises so far, he'll keep all of his promises through the whole of it. Um, Keep reading in verse number 14. It says, 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. So again, they're pilgrims in the earth. They're walking through. You and I are in the same boat. And we're seeking plainly. We're plainly declaring we seek for another country. Verse 15. And truly, uh, let me say this in verse 14. Uh, I love our country. I'm thankful for America. Uh, I'm I'm patriotic. Um, I think that has a place uh, certainly in an American person's heart and life. Um, but I am seeking a country yet to come. My, my absolute fullest allegiance is to Jesus and to that kingdom yet to come. Now, again, you don't have to throw stones at one to love the other, but uh, he did say we're just pilgrims. We're, we're, not, we're not citizens. We're just passing through. We're waiting for that city to come. Verse 15, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. He says, if they were so in love with the Ur, Abraham leaving the Ur of Chaldees, coming away from that to go into this city and even the land he trod underfoot. He still didn't necessarily get to hold and possess and it didn't get built up as these great metropolises that he had dreamed and hoped for waiting for this city built by God. And yet as he walked through, uh, he had this, uh, uh, this idea that, that he, was, he was just a pilgrim. And if he had thought too much about the country he came out of, he could have gone back to it. He could have gotten homesick for it. And again, the application there, we, we told you, I think, last week that we're going to have to, in its context, uh, understand what he's saying, and then there's going to have to be an application process to us. Um, this isn't, we, we didn't leave our country to go, you know, form Faith Baptist Church in Bakersfield. Uh, there's no, it's, not, it's not like that for us. But you and I are living in a world that we are just pilgrims from, and if we get too attached and too reminiscent of, oh, the way life used to be, and man, we used to be able to do this, and we used to be able to do that, and we used to be able to, you know, I remember before I got saved, well, then you might have had opportunity to go back. And, and that's not what Abraham did. Abraham lived wholeheartedly a citizen of a country he had never seen. He left what he did know to follow after what was yet to come. He didn't get homesick. Uh, verse 16 but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, whereof God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Now, I think this is important. They're living in pursuit of God's presence in this city, but I don't even know, and it's hard to know for sure. I don't think you could say either way, but it's wise to at least insert this concern um, or this, this, this thought. Uh, I don't know that Abraham fully understood he was waiting for New Jerusalem. I just know he was waiting for a city who God, that God would build himself and that God would inhabit that with, as his people and he would be their God. But he didn't know all the eschatology attached to all of that, that that's not even going to happen the entire lifetime of your generation or the next generation or the next generation, or maybe even in my entire lifetime. That city is a heavenly one that's yet to come. And Hebrews is telling us that backwards to, to Abraham, that the city he was really waiting for would never come through his own lineage. It would come through eventually his lineage through Christ and the return of, of, of the kingdom of heaven. So verse 17, we, now we're going to look at Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Uh, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him a figure. Now, that's significant too. In the Old Testament, we, we see just glimpses of that, of that like the, the, the seed of his faith. We know that he has faith because he goes to offer his son. But here we get to see like a, like a window on his heart. Like here is why he was willing to offer his son. He knew that God would be able to raise him up. Um, as much as we might get in the Old Testament is, is the, the idea that God's going to provide himself a lamb, right? He's going to provide himself in this sacrifice. He'll take care of this. But here in Hebrews, we get this giant window into Abraham's heart that Abraham said, 
yeah, but God made me a promise that the whole world would be blessed through my lineage. And God made me a promise that nations would come out of my loins and this is my son. And so, so if this kid dies, then, then that's God's problem. God's going to have to take care of this. And I don't mean that to sound callous. No doubt his heart was shattered in this exchange. But he knew that this is a God-sized problem, and God made his promise, and God doesn't break his promise. God cannot deny himself. So this means whatever happens here, that kid's coming back to life if this kid dies. Now, again, you know, you might know, uh, that God, again, sends the angel, stays the hand of Abraham. He doesn't sacrifice his son. Um, But by faith, Abraham was willing to let go, listen, to the only, he was willing to let go of the only logical path to the promises of God. That's really significant to application. This is the only logical path forgetting what God has given and promised to give to me. And sometimes we go in our call and then we're walking through our path and God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But then he calls us to do something that puts us in, in, at odds in contrast to his promises. Well, God, I thought you said that you'd never see the righteous forsaken nor a seed being bread. But right now, the logical path is shot. I don't see how you're going to keep your promises. Be Abraham in that situation and have faith. That I know this, there's, there's going to be a gap between what God said and what I'm in, and that either makes God a liar or God not finished yet. Well, it's because God's not done yet. Just because something doesn't work or something doesn't feel like, this is what I was promised, that simply means that God isn't finished fulfilling his promise. And so Abraham standing up there over Isaac, uh, the logic of it was, well, this doesn't make sense, but God's going to take care of it. And that's an okay place to be. It's not a great place. It's not my favorite place to be, right, as far as from a human perspective. But it's a great place to be as far as a faith perspective that logically... This can't happen. Yeah, that's okay, though. God will take care of the rest. Keep reading. The next verse, um, uh, though, is a bit of a doozy for me. This is another one of those, like, how did this happen kind of thing. Um, Verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Um, So if you know the story, you know why that's kind of a doozy. If you don't know the story, Genesis 27 gives us that account. It's like a soap opera. Uh, I mean, I haven't watched too many soap operas, but Brother Reese told me it's like a soap opera, so I'm just banking on his, his observation of soap operas. But basically what happens is Isaac, uh, he, his wife deceives him, sends uh, Esau out to go kill a, a, a deer and uh, takes Jacob and kills a, a, a lamb and covers his, his, uh, his, his body with these skins of an animal. And he comes to Isaac and pretends to be Esau and brings him, you know, the lamb meat and it's not venison and tricks uh, Isaac into blessing the younger son with the blessing that should have belonged to the older son, at least in our perspective. And uh, so if you're not careful, sometimes we, we, well, we would know that story and we would say, God just said Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in faith. And then we might think, well, if we know the story, we might would write that, that, that Isaac blessed Jacob through deception. But I want you to see what the text is saying. That's it isn't saying that Isaac blessed Jacob with the blessing that he gave him in faith that Jacob was the guy that should get blessed. I know that might sound confusing, and that might be the day quill talking, but follow me here. Look what it does say, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning, here's his blessing. Not that Jacob deserved it, not that he thought Jacob was Esau, but notice where Jacob's faith was in. He blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So let me give you a statement. His faith is associated with the blessing, not the boys. He didn't have faith that Jacob would be the lineage, though he ended up being the lineage through which Christ would come. He didn't have faith that Jacob was Esau. That's not what he's saying. What, what, what verse, uh, uh, I think it's verse 20. 
what verse 20 is saying is Abraham or Isaac had faith in the blessing. Isaac had faith that said, okay, my daddy gave me this, and this is the promise to Eve, this is the promise to Abraham, that through our family, the world is going to be blessed. Okay, sons, through you, the Messiah is still coming. That's the faith of, of Isaac in this situation. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. It wasn't that he, he didn't get tricked, because he, he did. It had, nothing, it had nothing to do with Isaac's intelligence or comprehension. It had everything to do. The, the man makes it in the hall of faith, as it were, because he believed in the bloodline his daddy had given him. He believed that through him and through these boys was going to come the Savior of humanity, uh, the Son of Man, uh, all of these different promises that were given even before uh, Isaac existed. But yes, Jacob is given the lineage through which this bloodline of Christ would come. Esau is given essentially just stuff. Uh, but Isaac believed in God, that through the promise his dad had given him, that God had given him through his promise, now blessing on his children, that that, that, that promise given to Abraham would still continue through. And so I think this is important to kind of take a second and make application, is that God is faithful even when people are dishonest and scheming. Um, Ab- Isaac did get duped. There's no two ways to look about it. Now, part of that was the providence of God. You know, God chose Jacob for this job. Um, so that, we're not going to necessarily speak to all that, but understand this. Jacob and Rebecca, they were scheming in all of this situation, and yet God's promise was still carried forward. God was still faithful, even though men were not. And so again, we can hold to the promises of God. They are not compromised by the scheming unfaithfulness of those around us. And we might think, yeah, but everything has to go this way in order for that blessing. No, God God takes care of his promises. And in this situation, we certainly see that to be the case. Um, Look at verse 21. (coughs) It says, by faith, uh, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Um, so, so really, I'll give you the application. I'll give you kind of a free nugget of information. But the patriarchs truly did believe that God was going to pass on the Abrahamic promise of global blessing through their family. They, they really did believe that. And that's why they do this blessing thing you'll find throughout the Old Testament. They're saying, hey, God has a promise for us. God has a promise for us. And through our family comes this blessing. Um, one of the things that's, that's unique to note in, uh, in verse number 21, uh, the Latin Vulgate, um, which is where Catholic Bibles come from, and a lot of modern translations actually translate this verse, and you can look it up in the Dewey Rhymes Bible. Um, that's one of the Catholic Bibles, and uh, the, uh, I forget the other one that they use currently, but it, it reads this, that by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both of his sons and worshipped the top of his staff. And a lot of Catholic people uh, will use that to say he had an idol carved into his staff, and that's why we can pray to idols. And uh, that's just not what the Bible says. So that one's free. You can look that one up. I thought that was an interesting, very bizarre and sad, unfortunate uh, rendering of the Latin Vulgate. So um, so listen, uh, let's keep reading. Verse 22. Um, it says, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And so listen, Joseph uh, dies um, there in Egypt, but in faith, he believes that God is going to deliver them out of Egypt, which is so unique because Joseph doesn't even know about the slavery that's going to come. We read that story in Exodus that there arises a king who did not know Joseph and he enslaves the children of Israel. But even before any of that happens, Joseph knows this is not where we belong. We are here to be incubated, to be, they come as a family of 70 people into, into Egypt. God uses Egypt and all of its wealth and might and protection to basically insulate and create the nation of Israel. 
uh, Moses becomes militarily trained and, and uh, all of his leadership skills and all that is trained in the house of Pharaoh. And God will use that to build. They didn't even have a bank system. They didn't even have a calendar. They didn't even know the formal name of their God. By the time they come out of Egypt, God builds all these things into them. He creates for them a calendar and gives them an army and create, gives them a, uh, all of the wealth of Egypt and spoils them on their exodus and all of these things. But here's what Joseph didn't know, any of that. He just knew that God called them to go to Egypt to be protected because there was food there and that God was going to bring them back into the land that he had been promised because it's in that land, all the great light's going to break forth and Naphtali and Zebulon, those are all promises Joseph wouldn't have known. But God said we were supposed to be here and God said he was going to bless us. So take my bones when you leave. What do you mean when we leave? We just got here. Take my bones when you leave and you go back to the land God promised our fathers. Take my bones with you because that's where I want to be buried in that land. And again, that's just great faith. Uh, what you're seeing, and we may have to stop here in a second, but what you're seeing is a chronological map of Old Testament faith. Yeah. We, we, we postured that already with Enoch and, and Abel. You're seeing a chronological map. Now, again, he will break chronology at the end of this chapter, which apparently we're not going to get anywhere close to um, this morning. So look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, and this is really Moses' parents. So by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Um, so by faith, the parents of Moses, they feared God more than the king. Um, and here's, they'll give this application and, and we will be done for this hour. The application is not hard for us at all. The world is going to demand the life of your child and maybe not so much by way of death, but by give that child to me, give them over to us let us do to them whatever we want. Let us form them. Let us have them. And as parents, like Moses' parents, you need to decide, nope, this kid belongs to me and he belongs to Jesus and I'm going to raise this child right. I'm not turning him over to the world. I'm not giving him over to the heretics. I'm not giving him over to the public school system. I'm not giving him over to a bunch of lost God-denying heathens so they can do with him what they choose. No, this child belongs to God. I'm going to raise him right so that God can use him. He's a proper child. And I don't know, but that might have some association back to uh, the promise of a man's son through uh, Eve. But either way, this man would grow up to be a mediator. This man would grow up to be a deliverer. This man would grow up to be a massive archetype of the coming Christ and Messiah. And it was, it was enabled by the fact that his parents just didn't give him up. When the world said, nope, give him over. He's ours. We're going we're gonna to destroy him. They said, nope, he belongs to God and he's my responsibility. And in faith, they hid him. Well, when they could no longer hide them, by faith, they gave him back to God and God did what? God gave him back to mom so that she could raise him, so she could teach him, so that even these next verses are even possible. That In verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, how did he know he wasn't the son of Pharaoh's daughter? His mama taught him, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. How's that even possible? How would he know these were the people of God? His mama taught him. Uh, listen, there was a parent who stepped in and said, no, we're not going to give him over. That we have a responsibility toward our, toward our God with our children. And the same is true for us. Again, <coughs> that's why I kind of, at the beginning, explain some things contextually don't apply to us, but through application they can, and this is one of those things. No one's trying to kill your kids as far as I know, but they are trying to destroy them. The, the same thing is true today. They are trying to, you give them to us. Based on the authority of the king, you give that child to us. You have to leave that kid at school. You have to do, no, you, you have a responsibility toward God, and I think every parent needs to take that uh, uh, with all the weight that it should. So let's pray.